All right, excellent. John McNabb from McNabb Games. All right. Hey, how's it going? It is, it is, it is pretty good. <laughs> a couple of technical snags. We started 10 minutes late. The old <laughs> microphone just decided to just unpair and, and not come back. I had to reboot the system, uh, but but all the guests have been fascinating, which is good. And, uh, and now it's your turn. So... Uh, McNab games there's a lot to talk about, but let's just let's just um, let's just start with one thing. You recently had a successful Kickstarter orc office party, which I guess is supposed to be a humorous card game. But if you've worked in real office environment, you know that the treacherous orcs are pretty much just the daily grind. So uh, tell me about orc <laughs> office party. <laughs> it actually started as uh, as just a joke product, us uh, goofing around, and. Um, you know, we started making fun and started, you know, kind of taking these archetypes and uh, applying them to different people in an office environment. Because I actually used to, uh, I used to be over the uh, tech department for uh, various um, Fortune 500 companies. I'm so sorry. And so I got to I'm see so exactly sorry. how fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just we started joking around, looking at like, you know, what would the janitor be? Well, that'd probably be the alchemist brewing stuff, you know, in his closet. And then, uh, oh, what about the IT? Well, that, that's the that's the wizards. It's always going to be the wizards. Uh, <laughs> salespeople. Well, that's your that's your uh, that's your marketing warriors. And then you got your rogues, which are your architects. And we just kept on developing, you know, just goofing off and creating more and more jokes and more and more uh, archetypes uh, based off of it. And uh, we inevitably developed the actual game or office yeah, party yeah, yeah, where yeah. the entire let's see some art. Yeah, the. Uh, the entire point behind it was actually just to um, see, cool. I mean, it's basically real life in a fantasy joke setting. And the whole point is you're trying to slack off as much as possible before the orcs <laughs> literally charge a, uh, a pink slip cannon and fire you, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what's gameplay look like? How does it, it's like a, up to like 15, 30 minute game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's usually pretty, uh, around, around 15 to 30 minutes uh, casual games. Um, <laughs> ideally, it's meant for uh, four to six players, but I mean, you can play with as little as two. Um, the only thing that we've had is that some of the cards have like, uh, you know, you wind up having to skip a turn or two. So if it's just two players, that can get a little, uh, you know, a little clunky. But um, I mean, basically you have assignment cards that you draw um, and these assignments you have to sacrifice your time to complete or you can slack off and, you know, just let them pile up in the background. But after so many pile up, you start to get charges against you. And after so many charges, you're fired. So you have to balance slacking off with completing the work. Um, and you've only got an allocated amount of time cards that you can use for each uh, each game, which a game a standard game represents uh, you know your average uh, work week. <laughs> now the only thing that can sabotage you slacking off and uh, you know organizing your time appropriately, is whenever you have coworkers come in and start interfering, such as the zombie CSRs who want to come in and show you their recent uh, photographs to the underworld of their family vacation, <laughs> or you've got the succubus mail clerk who wants to come in and flirt with you, or the uh, the if the uh, janitor comes in and uh, he accidentally tricks you into drinking some of his uh, copy toner brew, and you wind up losing uh, you know a couple turns, or if uh, like a gelatinous cubicle prank gets played on you, then, you know, you want to uh, lose in pretty much all of your time while you're trying to clear out your cubicle. I just got that uh, <laughs> cubicle. 
<laughs> That's great. So, card <laughs> games. Uh, I mean, how did it do on Kickstarter? Fairly well. I mean, uh, it's only our second Kickstarter that we've ever done. The first one we did, uh, we did with our uh, role-playing game and Orc Office Party. I think we got uh, close to a hundred backers. Uh, which, nice. in comparison, we only had about twenty-seven for our first one. We got a hundred for our second Kickstarter. So, it's a major. You have any? Um... Being that it's a card game, card games quite often, you know, develop expansions, anything like that out or on the horizon ever considered? Yeah, we're working on we're working on uh, four different expansions that are going to uh, follow the classic uh, classic character archetypes. You'll have uh, a full expansion deck of the IT Wizards. You'll have an expansion deck of the Rogue Architects. Mm -hmm. And uh, the four expansion decks will actually be, uh, <clears throat> will be under the, the guise of the, uh, the Orc Picnic Party. Where it's basically all the different departments come together. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, we're working on them, but uh, it might you, be it'll probably be the first one coming out in 2017. Do you have? Uh, could you like whip out one of those cards and just show us a, a piece of card art, or is that a sealed? Uh, <laughs> specimen? Well, it's it's a it's a sealed one, but uh, <laughs> <hurt nothing. laughs> I'm boss, I'm gonna open one of these right now. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got an entire box of shipment of these that are going out uh, Monday, so. Actually, opening one up and having a couple just laying around for me to play with, you know, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, nice to be the boss. Let's see what all we got. I'm gonna grab four of them that were actually um, inspired by some of our backers in Kickstarter. Really? Um, because we actually had Is that a one of level, the rewards, or yeah, we had a high level uh, reward tier that uh, not only would these individuals receive a copy of the card game uh, as well as a poster, they also got their likeness added into the uh, card game as a playable employee. Um, and so whenever you get the game, you have four, your four classic uh, employees. Here. Uh, you have your rogue architects. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I see. The you team. have the sales team warriors. You have the uh, IT wizards, and you have the accounting clerics. Show the sales team warriors again. The uh, the picture for us. I didn't see it. Uh, the sales team warriors. Yeah. And you could choose. You know, you could choose one of those four as your uh, as your primary employee card. So you could play as one of those four. Um, and they each have a different ability that you know can help either help you in gameplay by surviving different things or uh, can harm other players depending on what you're playing with. That's great. Well you have regular um, content always coming out for for your RPG game, uh, Morgulad. Uh, yeah. Tell us about Morgulad. Uh, uh, what's Morgulad, your elevator pitch? <laughs> well Morgulad actually um, it's one of those things that started whenever I was a kid and mm -hmm. uh, it just developed onward and uh, one day our entire game group said you should publish and then my wife said you should publish and then a couple other people said it and I said okay and that started me down the entire road of self-publishing so you're and, suggestible uh, you're suggestible yeah <laughs> if enough people tell me it's a good idea I might just try it, <laughs> <Do> it. <laughs> excellent so you have a so um, well you have a starter book available online right yeah, the starter book is actually available uh, it's free for download we've actually got various different formats of it and mm -hmm. physical copy as well for sale. Um, we have the standard six by nine digest uh, format in paperback and hardback, as well as a full eight by ten uh, hardback and paperback. So, tell me about Morgulad. 
Um, what it is essentially is a 4D6 system, um, and the entire point and the entire purpose behind it was for it to be easier to pick up, easier to learn, and a lot cheaper uh, than most of the uh, large, you know, major name brand products that are out there today. While at the same time uh, making a little bit more easier on players and hosts alike, so that way you don't have as much clutter at the game table. By the way, Mana um, Junkie thought that um, Orc Office Party looked cool. <laughs> Is that on the uh, YouTube chat? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, the I mean, Work Office Party is actually available on Amazon right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, uh, Morglad. It's meant to be a, just basically a lot easier uh, and a lot simpler for new people getting into the hobby and uh, anybody that's looking for something quick to pick up. Um, there's so many different things that I could say about it that differentiates it, but at the same time keeps that same uh, atmospheric, you know, immersive feel to it. Yeah. Um, this is actually our core rule book oh, nice. and our starter book side by side. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, essentially with all of our books for Morgulad, the point was to be one book to encompass everything. Player's Guide, Host Guide, Creature Compendium, all within one cover. Um, it's primarily set in a pre-medieval era, um, uh, in a world of high fantasy. Um, <clears throat> it has a totally unique uh, magic system, um, in a sense that it doesn't. You don't prepare spells like you do in many other uh, in many other role-playing games. You actually have a pool of energy that you have to utilize in order to cast spells. Um, and one big difference it has as far as the uh, learned abilities, whether professional, standard, or uh, otherwise, even if you don't have that necessary ability, you can take a, uh, a penalty, and it will default back to a primary attribute that all characters have. And you can still attempt to try abilities that you know, are not in your skill set. So it doesn't exactly limit you to, uh, to one class, and at the same time, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't lock you in based on your level either. Uh, I mean, if you're a level you know, one mate or magi, you can, uh, you can still learn you know, like tier five spells if you have enough character points saved up. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Right. So, so late Iron Age uh, setting, is that your, uh, that's from like a homebrew you've had since you were young in gaming, right? Yeah, yeah that's, okay. that's actually what we... Uh, <laughs> what we started with the idea is to take it into a uh, take uh, our campaign settings, which are going to be system agnostic, um, into a kind of a continuum st uh, storyline, uh, wherein we can actually be able to touch on each of the different gaming genres, uh, while at the same time tying it all in with one uh, gaming system. So. That's really interesting. So, um, if I get into more glad. How many things can I get? Because I say you had like a uh, what was the night something mountain? Which one was that? The uh, um... the, uh, <laughs> the secret of the the secret of night glass mountain. That's well, it's nice about one... that. It's like a one. It's like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you open it up and you're there. Yeah, you just open it and you go. Oh, okay. And you know, not a lot of study. You get to just uh, rock and roll with it. So uh, tell us about that that style of putting that adventure. Yeah, that one. Uh, that one we actually did. Uh, I started it as part of the one-page dungeon contest uh, mm -hmm. this past year. 
And, um, you know, I saw that, you know, it was starting to get some hits. So I went ahead and did a, a new cover and a little bit more information for it. Uh, we even created a, a small soundtrack just for some of the audio that's uh, on our website, just for to add some more background ambience. Um, and uh, the whole point of it was to give you a basic map and basic descriptions of each of the rooms. Uh, we didn't incorporate any statistics for any of the creatures, um, or you know, we didn't really set in stone what specific creatures there were. We gave uh, descriptions as far as priests and so on and so forth. Um, and the reason we did that was because some people are going to want to play Morglad. They might have a uh, big bad guy in mind that they want to use this setting for, um, where other people might have a different game system that they prefer, but they're just looking for new content. Wow. So uh, what's coming down the pike for Morgulad? Uh <laughs> Right now, we uh, actually have a one of, our, one of our first adventure modules that we're releasing. Um, and we're actually going to be openly playtesting it tonight um, here at AcerCon, um, starting, I think, at about 5 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, 6 p.m. EST. Um, mm -hmm. That's going to be the Obsidian Spire. And uh, it's going to be not only we're going to do our primary Morgulad release, we're also going to do a system agnostic version. Uh, so that way anybody can take it and run with it. Um, then we're also going to break it down and do a uh, solo uh, adventure, where it's basically mm. a choose-your-own-adventure series, so that way if you don't have a group of uh, people to get together, you can still sit down and How does that work? You know, have some How does that work? Um, it works a lot. It works very similar to the old choose-your-own-adventure choose books. You know, if you choose oh, a certain sure. action, then you go to you know whatever page, and you continue on the story that way. Yeah, those are fun. Um, but... Uh, the only difference is usually you, you'll have a character sheet or a character that you can either uh, download from the website. You could either create your own by rolling it up using the rules in the core rule book, uh, or you can use the, the Proteus character generator app that we have uh, that's on our website you know, to make a whole new character. And um, you'll just go through and roll the dice and uh, see how your outcome comes on certain pages uh, as far as combat-wise. And uh, if you succeed, then you move, you'll progress. If you fail, then you know you go to another outcome. There was uh, uh, D and D had this in first edition. I can't remember, like Maze of the Minds of the Minotaur or something like that. And it had a little yellow pen. This is like in the eighties, and it was um, it was kind of like that, but it was really, really bad. It just seems like a hard <laughs> thing to mess up. But this one's just so, and I love that pick your own path stuff. But this was so uninspired. It's like, <laughs> um, so I really look forward to that. Those are fun. Like you said, you know, you, you know, the, so gaming is is social, and the whole thing is being social. But sometimes you're like, you know, I feel like being non-social in gaming tonight. Or you're just <laughs> stuck alone. So it's fun. I really like this book. But I'm kind of a completionist, right? So if I bought one of those like old D and D book pick your path books or any pick your path books because there's a bunch of them i would have to like try to run down a bunch of different storylines just curious to see you know where yeah. the writer took it really found this quite fascinating um yeah, we actually uh we actually have one of our first tests just to see how the mechanics work you see how well it rolled and that was the uh, man-sized and maple it's actually hmm. live on our website um you can just kind of click through it and it's just basically a text-based adventure that operates in the same fashion um I think it even gives the experience and rewards and so you know so forth. So that way, at the end of the story, you can either upgrade your character or downgrade them. You know, uh, depending. Yeah, and that and that website is. 
That was over at uh, <laughs> sorry. No. That was over at uh, morgalad.com. Mm-hmm. Um, if you actually click on the uh, new to Morgalad section, there's a little drop down that says play now, and that'll bring you right to it. Um, and it'll give you a list of options of uh, some pre-generated characters to use. Oh, uh, and then it also has a little link for a handy little dice roller too. Sure. You also have uh, two very brief converter manuals, one for what looks like old school D&D and another for, for uh, 3.5. Yeah, uh, we actually did the conversion manuals uh, just because we had a lot of people that were doing a bunch of uh, old retro clone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. we figured if we created a broad set of uh, conversion rules for old classic AD&D, uh, that would probably help out many of the, uh, many of the retro clone gamers. And then also at the same time, we created um, some D20 system conversion manuals to help with any 3.5 Pathfinder or OGL stuff. Um, and the reason was if you have a character that you've already created there and you want to bring it over to Morgulad just to play around, you know, try a different game and then bring it back, you know, that's what those are for. Also at the same time, some of our stuff, while we, you know, shoot for system agnostic, you know, you might wind up grabbing the wrong thing one time. And think, oh no, now I can't use it because the stats are all wrong, or this is, you know, you know, you could actually use those conversion manuals to convert our content, our specific creatures, our specific settings over to whichever one of those, uh, you know, game systems you prefer. Speaking of game systems, so this started as a homebrew. Did it start with the rules that you used, or was it just a setting and you used the D and D structure to to play through it? Like, did uh, were you actually, tinkering with game rules when you were that young, or? Yeah, actually, I was because um, <laughs> I grew up uh, in the wake of the satanic panic of the uh, 80s and 90s. And I'm playing D&D. You know, I'm playing D&D. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had, we had to deal with that, uh, especially since, you know, I grew up in a small, very small rural uh, southern town um, where games such as Dungeons & Dragons were not allowed, to, to put it politely, <laughs> yeah. they were not allowed to, to even be in the same area. And um, you didn't so, listen to any of that rock and roll music, yeah. did you, kid? Yeah, so you know we couldn't have any of that. <laughs> but the thing was, as as I learned, you know, it's not so much the it's not so much the game that people have a problem with; it's the fact of the negative stigma of the name. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we said, well, that's fine. You know, we can't play that game. But uh, you know, a friend introduced me to it, and I said, you know, I've got I've got to play something. You know, I've got to play something. We had no. Uh, comic shops or game stores around here. Wow. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make my own. That's and a fascinating sat environmental adaptation. You know, there must be. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in Jeff Goldblum going, nature finds a way. It's like gaming finds a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I've always been one of those stubborn people that if somebody says, you can't do that, watch me. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Wow. But, uh, and, and, that's kind of what led me to the uh, to using to creating a 46 mechanic was I figured you know the polyhedrals look awesome you know it's like gamer candy but some people that don't know that much about role playing games people that are new to the hobby uh, most people have actually seen a d6 you know mm-hmm. whether they just played Monopoly as a kid or something you know so yes. it's going to be an easy thing for them to understand uh, without you know having too many complex pieces you know they could get into more advanced stuff and you know polyhedral collecting with more advanced games with uh you know a larger library but uh we were trying to make things simple and you know easy to easy to pick up 
Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and you've, it's got a pretty uh, simple success fail mechanism in it, your system? Yeah, I mean, uh, the system actually, uh, there's four basic categories that correlate to a different uh, to a different uh, difficulty rating, and that's based on uh, you know the uh, action you're trying to perform as well as uh, your level, because uh, as you increase in level, uh, certain things become easier and certain things become more difficult. I don't know if you so, know this, uh, yeah, but when yeah. you when you do um, like podcasts or interviews, you take dirty socks and you ball them up and you throw them at cats so that they'll stop <laughs> doing stuff. If, Come if on, I'm working here. Uh, I just had the ice cream truck drive by a little while ago, and I just, <laughs> if I could have gotten away with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, we, uh, oh, wow, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were talking about the, 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 you were talking about a lot of things, actually. Yeah, so I think ice cream, yeah. we were talking about ice cream, and you were saying complex pieces, yeah, and I thought I heard complex pizzas, and immediately started to construct and build my own. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, we, uh, Oh my god! As far as the success and failure mechanisms, uh, I'm back. I'm back. There I am. Uh, as far as the success and failure, it's pretty simple. Uh, you have a difficulty rating, and uh, you roll forty-six. Add any attributes or ability bonuses that you have, and if you exceed it, then you succeed. If you um, miss or fail, then depending on the varying degree that you miss or fail, uh, that depends on the outcome as far as how bad it is, because. Um, just like with some game systems, you have uh, critical success and fumbles for combat. You know, we decided, well, it would probably be fun if we did that for everything. Yeah. You know, if you create a critical success for, you know, I'm going to try and jump across that ledge. Okay, well, you do it in such an awesome manner. You cut, like, three flips, you know, wave at the guy below you, wink to the girl on your left, and you land, you know. Yeah, that's always Whereas, how that works uh, out for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you... Uh, if you if you fail so miserably, you're not even going to get more than two feet off the air. You're going to trip, fall in the hole, and you're going to look like an idiot doing it. Yeah, yeah. You broke so, your eye. I got you. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we uh, we tried to make that as, as simple while still you know making it fun and humorous, um, adding some of that to it. But at the same time, um, we wanted to not restrict our players. We wanted them to be able to completely customize everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll have a rogue <clears throat> that comes in and he can just scale a wall and get over to the other area. Some other classes might not be, you know, they, they don't have access to that type of skill set. So, you know, are, are we supposed to just leave them stuck on the other side to devise another method or can they attempt to try it, you know? Uh, in that situation, if they don't have the skill set, you add like a four or five point penalty. Let them have at it, you know, based on whatever the uh, root attribute is for that skill set. Sure. And if their attribute is high enough, they have a chance of actually learning things that are not in their skill set. Yeah, I really like that. I, I like that when I played in uh, certain indie games, you know, have a similar mechanic. It makes it a lot of fun. Uh, do you uh, demo Morgulat at cons or other games? Um, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we do. Uh, usually the easiest way is uh, we pre-generate everything and bring it. And uh, while I like to do a sandbox style, uh, usually, whenever we do run uh, games at conventions, we have to pre-generate kind of railroad and structure everything. Yeah, no, that, that uh, could be a little yeah, difficult. Make it easy. <laughs> what about work office party? That seems like a sit down and play at a con. Are you going to be doing demos for that? Yeah, we actually uh, we actually sat down and played a couple games of that one at the uh, St. Tammany uh, Collectors Con that uh, happened about two weeks ago. 
and uh, I'm still regaining my voice from that. Ah, well, <laughs> what was the uh, reaction like? Um, whenever it got down to small groups of, of two, you know, everybody, you know, really enjoyed it and had fun. It was just a goofy game, you know, sit around and have a couple laughs and have a few drinks with. Um, but, you know, the only drawbacks that we had was whenever it got to low numbers, it would get a little bit clunky with, uh, with turn skipping. Yeah, but, yeah uh, you mentioned that. So, yeah, but other than that, everybody had a blast. So, Dungeons and Dice Crypt Cards? Yeah, that's, uh, that's something else. That Tell me about that. Uh, <laughs> that's actually, um, I was sitting around because we had, we had just finished Morgulad, and um, I, I made a point in Morgulad to make it available in various sizes, so that way, you know, you could either have the old-fashioned hardback, 8x10 fill, so it would look, you know, blend in with your collection on the bookshelf, or if you want to save, you know, save space at your table, you get the 6x9. So I said, well, how can I compartmentalize and compact multiple items, gaming items, into one product to save even more space? Um, and so we did the Dungeons & Dice Crypt cards that actually uh, have 13 different dungeon geomorphs on them that you can draw and randomly generate an entire dungeon uh, that way. Uh, it's also got a fully randomized polyhedral uh, set on each card, so that way you can actually use it uh, in in place of dice. So if somebody shows up and they don't have any dice, then you just hand them a deck of cards. And that way you don't have to worry about the new guy throwing his dice all the way across the table and you know having them bounce everywhere. Uh, and then uh, it even still, you know, with even with the the dungeon geomorphs and the uh, polyhedral dice set that's in it, it still acts as a standard uh, 52 card poker deck. Oh, nice. You don't have any of those around, do you? Uh, <laughs> actually, I think it's probably still in the U-Haul from the convention. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait. But, uh, yeah. but uh, those are actually uh, available on our website, magnabgames.com. Uh, I think they're also available on Amazon and DriveThruRPG as well. Great. They range from like... Nine ninety-five plus shipping and handling up to fourteen, depending on what platform you get them from. So you have a a creature of the week feature on your website, which I think is always a great way to you know keep content fresh, exciting, give people a reason to come back. Um, are you uh, you actually put out fifty-two uh, creatures a week, and if so, can I model for them? <laughs> uh, do you uh, do you have like fifty-two a year? Is that the uh, plan there or yeah we actually um you i mean we actually did the full 52 uh 52 uh, a year yeah. and it was it's a lot more work than people think it is oh yeah, yeah it is <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the things that i thought would be really fun to showcase some of the uh custom creatures because um with any role-playing game or any new system um you know, people are always going to look weary about it and say, okay, well, it's just another bunch of mechanics. I don't want to learn new stuff. Uh, I just want the content. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way for us to showcase the content. People can pick up just what they want. They can go in and, you know, kind of hand select the few pieces they want to actually bring to their game system. And uh, while at the same time, kind of showing off some of our different artists that we've worked with in the past and giving them a little bit of credit too. That's great. So, um, can, I notice you have submission rules, and I want to talk about the digital marketplace uh, that you've got going on because that, that's pretty fascinating, you know. Because um, a, lo a lot of people who love RPGs are are also um, aspirational, you know. I mean, you or I was—we didn't just play them; we wanted to create them, you know. And uh, yeah. 
<laughs> so, so, but, but when it comes to submissions, can people submit? I mean, you've got a pretty tight product line. It's, it's, it's a strong product line, but there's like a few products, but I know there's submission rules. So do you take submissions for Creature Week? Is that the kind of thing you would outsource to new or established artists or is that just all in-house? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we actually accept commission and submissions. Um, we have a couple different platforms for doing so. Um, mm -hmm. We have, uh, you know, we've done a couple collaborations uh, as far as uh, short stories, um, not entirely related to role-playing role games. Um, and in that state, um, usually we'll publish, uh, you know, up-and-coming authors who are looking to submit stuff. Um, for things well, such really, as tell, creature Tell me, tell me uh, more about the storyline. Oh well, uh, we've done a couple. We've done a few uh, short stories. Um, we had one lady recently who did uh, some romantic fiction. You know, it, it's outside mm -hmm. of the uh, the role playing game. And uh, you know, I figured, well, you know, we've got a platform. We've got a publishing platform. Uh, we may as well utilize it to help get our stuff out there on uh, Kindle and uh, you know all the other different platforms that you can find, such as uh, drive through fiction things such as that. Mm -hmm. Um, so we worked on a uh, some co-author royalty agreements where uh, we break down and whoever does, you know, we break it down into percentage of how much work is involved with each person, hmm. and uh, we set it up to where they receive their royalties um, as such. Now our website <clears throat> does actually have a digital marketplace on there. Um, we do like to release system agnostic content. Uh, we're not entirely you know, locked down to that. So if anybody has any real gaming related content, they can come to our website and on our site, uh, all sales, the, uh, the publisher or the vendor receives uh, 90% commission, which is uh, actually uh, a good deal higher than, than most other digital marketplaces out there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the only reason that we even, you know, hold the 10% commission that we do is just to, to maintain and keep the site up and running. Sure. Um, so that sounds like a philosophy there. You just want to, uh, you know, get good product out there, and that's cool. So, what's it like being a distributor? You got you got many takers on that, or is it is it really a new digital marketplace finding its finding its legs? We're we're more new. I mean, it, we just started the uh, we just opened up the digital marketplace this year. Um, mm -hmm. So we've had a couple people that have come in. Um, we had one guy who uh, wanted to write some more Glad stuff for us, and. Um, he went about the submission uh, methods on the Morgulad page, and uh, we actually hired him, contracted him. Um, he sold a couple of the adventures to us. We're actually, you know, f finishing those up as far as illustration-wise, and uh, those will be coming out in one of our upcoming expansions. Um, so that's one way to do submissions. Is, do they have uh, sexy adventure know. titles? I like a sexy adventure title. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, Scouts of Whitefall is one of them. Uh, not, nothing too sexy, but uh, <laughs> it's more. The sexy uh, it's more Scouts cold. of Whitefall doesn't sound better. Yeah, it's more cold and frigid. You know, it's kind of post-sexy. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, we ha we just have various uh, various ways for you know artists and creatives to actually get their stuff out there, and that's the main thing is I wanted to help out as many people as possible because when I went about the the path of self-publishing. It was very confusing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I figured the the more platforms I could open up, and the easier I could make it for you know new people coming in, as well as veterans, uh, you know the the better it would it would be for everybody. Sure. Uh, because that would help the industry grow. That would help you know everybody else grow, and in turns, it would help us grow as well.
Um, so we have, you know, we accept submissions. You know, we pay commission. We also hire commissions. So you know, we're willing to hire and pay people uh, that are creative. Um, if people, you know, would prefer to have a royalty agreement and just, you know, control their own stuff, they can come in, upload, and you know, run their own publishing uh, account, uh, vendor dashboard through our main site at Magnap Games. Or, uh, you know, if anybody does any collaborative work or wants some collaboration from us, because we also uh, do uh, not just writing and modules and game design, we also do illustrations such as cartography. Yeah. And uh, any type of collaboration, we uh, we also break down the percentages for that and auto-pay uh, everybody involved. Now, you say we. You guys, you have a lot going on, but how many, it's John McNabb Games. How many John McNabbs are there working at John McNabb Games? Because that's that's a lot of stuff. I would, <laughs> you give me 10 years yeah. before I get that amount of work done. So what's, what's your team look like? <laughs> well, uh, believe it or not, it's actually just uh, me and my wife. Wow. Well, that's a way. <laughs> that's technically a way that works. I mean, yeah. Uh, because in the state of in in our state, um, we actually had had a lovely conversation. Because in our state of Louisiana, um, any business that you start up, your spouse is uh, inherently a a, uh, a partner in it. Really? And so uh, whenever you put them yeah, to work, so, <laughs> <laughs> whenever, I, uh, whenever I went on this venture, you know, I walked in and sat down, and I said, "Okay, you told me I should publish." She said, "Yeah." I said, "Okay, well, you own half a business now." <laughs> Get to step in. These have to go to the mailbox today. Wow. Hey, we got we got some uh new people. That's great. Um, but nobody actually asking questions. So let's ask ourselves our own questions. This is always what happens in a QA. These things get seen once they're archived and they get edited down and they get like get a lot of views, but when they first air, it's you know, it's sort of a new format and you know, hard for people to to quite grok like I have to show up at a certain time to see this so um, uh, we just yeah so we've, we've gotten a bit into the the philosophy I think of how you approach uh, you know, games gaming getting the voices of different gamers out there that's fantastic McNabb has a really good spirit and and the thing uh, I'm gonna walk away with is is what made you start your own system just the idea that you were trying to avoid looking demonic <laughs> in Texas or wherever the where'd you say that was <laughs> Uh, it's actually uh, like, Southeast Louisiana. Southeast, well, I know you're in Louisiana. I thought you were saying something about that. So Southeast Louisiana, you were trying not to look like a devil worshiper, so you created your own game. It's not D&D, it's E&E. &E. You know, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. We don't even have demons in this game, man. Um, <laughs> let me ask you, I, I imagine not only with your own game system, but there was probably a certain element of, of say, PG light decency in the, in the storytelling or, or did you find that you were a little more rigorous uh, in your storyline, and did you challenge uh, adult material at all, or did the did the way the company formed, did the way the game system form under the rigors of other people, say moral judgment, did that wind up influencing the type of stories that Morgulad tends to lead to in your experience? I mean, I guess anybody could take the game and play it any way they wanted, but do you play a very sort of um, conservative game? Huh. Um, as and far as us, admit on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I would say that conservatives is probably as far as we play in our playtesting in our groups uh, is probably the farthest thing from it because we actually <laughs> try to see exactly how far we can push because that, that's ultimately the point of everything that we do as far as playtesting is because 
if it can be broken, we want to know how. <laughs> sure, sure. And so we tr we try to push it. We try to push ourselves. Um, and our games do ha do tend to have some mature content. However, the content we release, um, uh, especially our starter book, we try to keep it a little bit, uh, like you said, with a little bit more of a PG vibe to it. Um, not so much to the point where it hinders gameplay, uh, and, you know, because we don't want to give it a completely vanilla whitewash and, and clean everything over, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, we still want it to be fun and interesting. Um, but we tried to kind of break down the, the language used and, and simplify the language so that way uh, younger players could actually get into it. Um, I mean, you spoke on, uh, on the morality of it, and that's actually one of the fun things about it is uh, our <clears throat> most games have some form of alignment system. We actually have a mora uh, morality versus aura, hmm. and it's basically um, it's not registered in terms of good and evil. It's uh, varying degrees such as aggressive. It, it, it basically follows the Jung typology. Um, and so you can, the whole point of it is that it, it affects um, your outward perception as far as how you are, uh, you are perceived. And at the same time, your, inner, your inward uh, perception as well as you know, how you perceive the world. And so you have morality versus your aura. Aura is how others perceive you and morality is how you perceive the world. So at one point, you can be a completely honorable character. Um, but to everybody that meets you, they will think that you are just a purely dominant individual because you just have a dominant aura. Um, so you can effectively be a good guy, um, but for the wrong reasons. And at the same time, you can be a bad guy for the best reasons. Uh, so we tried to break and get, get rid of the old-fashioned alignment mechanics that way. That's good. You spoke about like you know, if you're a young player playing it, um, how easily do, does the uh, the the a novitiate gamer take to to Morgulad in your experience? Have you uh, have you um, introduced any younger players to <coughs> via your own game? Yeah, we've actually had a, a good number of kids in our town. Um, we actually just handed out a bunch of copies after our first uh, our our Morgulad Kickstarter. Uh, once we got all of our backers settled away, uh, we just went through town and just started handing them out. As, as so you're that rebel rouser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be on the lookout. Polo so, for John. <laughs> yeah, and so there's, uh, I mean, we're actually, we're in the middle of a big uh, big ordeal right now because we're actually trying to open the first uh, comic and game store here in this small town. Wow. And all the kids love it, and the parents, not so much. <laughs> yeah, another, another place to spend the parents' money. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, as, as far as younger players, it, it's been a you know it's been pretty easy for them to pick up. They've enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of them have actually messaged us and asked, you know, uh, we want more content. We want more stuff. And you know, uh, I'm thinking, okay, I really need to get more people. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then as far as some of the uh, the more veteran players, um, it actually kind of surprised me. Whenever I reached out early on in the development and uh, the production stage, I reached out for a few people. Uh, to do some reviews, and I was just thinking it would be something simple as yes, I liked it or no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, we actually had uh, a review over at Campaign Mastery for our starter book uh, back when we uh, we were still taking care of all the illustrations and still working on a lot of the typography. And uh, they actually did a full um, uh, a full statistical uh, breakdown of the game's mechanics, and uh, they actually looked at how the bell curve. Managed to uh, to run for the 4D6 system uh, over the length 
of all the different levels. Wow. And uh, they said that surprisingly enough, the, the statistics, you know, they, they found it difficult that we found a way uh, to make 46 operate on the same statistical bell curve as the D20 system. Wow. So are you, are you, a, are you a number, are you a numbers guy? Or are you great at math? Uh, it, or is that, did you just um, luck and brilliant? <laughs> I, I kind of lucked out. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I sat down and did, you know, I, I came up with some <laughs> equations. I had to for the conversions. Sure. Um, but I've always been fairly decent at analytical problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just worked for that moment. It worked for that issue. And I found a way to kind of make it hit a broad spectrum. I didn't think it was going to have, you know, that type of, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, you know, length to it you know, or depth to it. Uh, I didn't think that anybody would go that in detail and looking it over. But uh, the fact that they did, and as far as numbers-wise, it's, it's solid, that uh, definitely made me feel a lot better about the product as a whole, <laughs> especially with it being my first published product. Yeah, no, that's amazing. When did you uh... – when did you first publish more go ahead? Uh, the first official publish, um, we actually released it for Kickstarter back uh, in late 2014, uh, about mid to late 2014. Um, we did our first Kickstarter um, because we had planned on bringing in a whole slew of artists. Um, we had really over budgeted that's, the, the first what, Kickstarter that's that we what scheduled. People do. That's what everybody does. And, uh, and it was actually uh, Eric Tinker uh, from uh, Tankar's Tavern mm -hmm. actually did a review of our Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, he started listing, you know, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. The, you know, this budget's way too high. You know, and, he's, and he did a review, which was an honest review. You know, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything negative or ruder about it. You know, it's just the fact that he went through and he deconstructed what we didn't know about the funding platform for Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that. I pulled our first one. And I read through and I saw what he had, you know, what he had mentioned. I said, okay, well, he's got a good point. He knows more about the Kickstarter game than we do at that time. And we reconstructed uh, a new Kickstarter, um, which released in November of 2014, uh, based off of the suggestions he gave in his review. And it was actually ultimately successful. And that, that funded with 27 backers? Uh, yeah, it was around uh, 27 to 30 backers. Uh, backers. Which, uh, because it was it was a very low cost production at that point. Um, we had actually done most of the um, we actually done most of the rules mechanics. Most of the writing was done at that point. Um, so basically, I did all the writing pro bono <laughs> yeah. before we even did anything. Uh, and all the money that we raised went straight to the artists that did the artwork, and then to the actual printing costs. And uh, shipping to the backers. By the time you had your second Kickstarter, which had many more backers, um, Orc Office Party, how were you that much more disciplined in figuring out what it was going to cost ahead of time? Did you have the right numbers plugged in for for that take? That second. Um... Yeah, we uh, we actually did a lot better that time. We uh, I actually invested a, a large bit of my own funds uh, to pay a lot of the artists up front mm. uh, because. I didn't want to be the guy that went to artists and said, Hey, work for me. You might get paid. Sure. You know, so I took my own private funds and hired a couple artists to do some preliminary work, uh, prior to releasing anything on Kickstarter. So that way people could get a sample of what they would be seeing. Artists around um, the world are cheering you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 
I, I've, there's been times in my life where I've worked four jobs to be able to pay the mortgage and everything. And if somebody came up to me and asked me to, to work for free, yeah, I probably wouldn't be the most civil uh, individual. So <laughs> I can't expect others to, to go through that same situation. Um, and uh, so we privately funded a, you know, a large portion of everything that's on the, uh, the Kickstarter page uh, before we even launched anything. And um, we had done all of our market research and everything went off without a hitch. Everything worked out perfectly. Um, the only problem that we ran into with our Kickstarter was about, about two weeks after our Kickstarter ended, um, the United States Postal Service actually increased their flat rate shipping rates. Wow. And so if it was just 27 backers, <clears throat> it wouldn't have been too much of an issue. But we have 100 backers. And mind you, uh, a, a decent portion were actually international backers because uh, we actually opened this one internationally. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I had to take on quite a few commissions, uh, which actually pulled me out of the public light for quite a while. And I'm still fighting to try and get back there and, uh, you know, make all the backers, uh, make sure they're happy and make sure that they've, they've got their products on time. Um, but, you know, yet again, I've had to pull from my private funds to be able to uh, make sure that everything got sent to them. A few backers asked me, they said, well, if the, if the rates increase, we don't mind covering it. I said, yeah, but we had a, you know, pre-existing, you know, agreement. And I, you know, that, that falls on the same philosophy. I can't expect people to pay more than I would. You know, I can't expect somebody to, you know, support something and then turn around and I ask them for more. You know, I, I just, I wouldn't feel right doing that. So I pulled from my own funds what little I did make uh, off of work office party actually went and turned around and went right back into shipping. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> now being that it's just you and the missus and you've got this whole product line and you just have to go through all of these expenditures just to, you know, do right by customers, which can be very hard, especially when, when Kickstarter is involved, you know, you got to be really dedicated. What are the chances of you trying Kickstarter again anytime soon with any of your, I'm sure you have ideas. Oh, I mean, <coughs> it's probably, I mean, it's possible that we're going to do another Kickstarter um, just because I get to meet new people. At the end of it, I come out of pocket a little bit of money. I get to make a game. I get to have fun, hang out, and meet new people. So uh, it's just, it's kind of a hobby uh, turned into a, a career uh, that I'm trying to build and get it, you know, more stronger so that way it can be self-sustaining so that way I can focus solely on it. Um but I, I just, I don't mind, and I, I plan on actually doing some more Kickstarters in the future. Um, <clears throat> just over time, I'm learning the more and more prepared you are prior to Kickstarting, the, the easier <laughs> the entire outcome is going to be. Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the more money you can invest up front, uh, the easier it's going to be on the back end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, just because even if nothing else, even if I don't make, uh, any profit or anything off of it, which don't get me wrong, it would be great to, to make money. But uh, even if I don't, just the act of meeting all the new people in the community and uh, actually getting to discuss and meet some of the established people that I have over the past few years uh, has totally been worth it. Yeah, well, art for art's sake, you're a creator. You're bringing uh, great things to the world and, and somehow founding, finding a way to break even even is quite the accomplishment. Most of us just pay money for the RPG interest, you know? <laughs> 
even when we're writing it, you know, the opportunity cost, you know, like writing a 60,000 yeah. word adventure, which I've done that's time. I wasn't actually making a lot of money, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't uh, change it for a thing. I've got my adventures on the bookshelves and my book inclusions on the bookshelves and boy, this sure did cost me a lot of money, but, but, uh, bucket yeah. list, you know, put things <laughs> out there. I'm proud of, you know, it's great. So let me go over, like I said, these things don't tend to populate during. Yep. So we've got no questions. So let's make our own. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to know? Um, so, um, so uh, I, I guess in general, like what is next for McNabb Games? Are you looking to just, you know, fulfill orders and maintain this line? Are you looking to be uh, aggressive and put out more stuff, maybe take on a, a partner, wink, wink, to uh, help <laughs> <laughs> to uh, you know help manage manage growth? Are you just happy with where you're at, you know, because you got oh, a man. really interesting um, organism here with McNabb Games. It's got a real it's got a real pulse to it. So I'm just curious, uh, is, is growth a, a part of the plan? Yeah, I mean, we're actually working on a different, uh, a couple different uh, outlets and venues at the moment. Um, <clears throat> as I stated, we're working on getting a, a physical uh, open up with our first one starting here uh, in the town. Um, I've had a lot of people try to push me to go to other towns uh, around the area, but you know, this is where it started. And you'd have to uh, drive. And this is where it needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then I have I'm to drive. Environmental. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm fighting to, to make something happen here that, that, you know, we can all be a part of as a community. Um, so that's, that's one venue we're looking on. We're actually looking at, uh, we started designing and working on a few new systems um, mm -hmm. that are branches off of the More Glad Fantasy RPG. Uh, we've uh, basically taken and modified the system we created in it to make it um, more, more open so that way you can bring any content into it. Um, so that's going to be one of our new product lines we're working on, uh, finishing up. Um, we're looking for, you know, some potential collaborations in the future. So I'm, I'm, I'm always for it. You know, I'm never against collaborations. Uh, there's, uh, actually been quite a few, uh, novels written that I've done some illustrations and some cartography work on, um, just because I enjoy, you know, working in, in the industry. I enjoy working in the community. What novels were those? So, um, Jeremy Hayes actually did um, the uh, I'm trying to think of because he, he's done about Jeremy. five or six different books. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he's done about five or six different books, and I've done uh, some of the map work for it. Uh, he did the Goblin Squad, which was a uh, a very it's a very good adventure story. It's targeted towards uh, younger readers, and that was one of the first ones I ever received from him that I was able to to help him uh, by doing some illustration work in, and. Um, he just did a bounty hunter series as well, and uh, that one has some of my maps in it too. Um, and it's just—it's one of the things where I started doing little odds and ends here and there, uh, trying to get more and more stuff out there. And uh, it's just become a hobby that you know, while it's work, I, I enjoy doing it. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, what about the uh, stories that uh, you talk about? You know, putting out since you have this distribution mechanism. Are these these are. Uh, do, do you have any any novels? Um, like I've actually got a novels. couple that I'm that I'm working on at at the moment. Um, I've had a couple people, um, you know, because we have a, a few organized community groups where we sit down and we share work and everything uh, that I run here in uh, here in our town. That's called the uh, Magic City Writer Society. So you have a writer. Um, where I try to, yeah, that I try and encourage them to uh, to 
do, you know, to actually put their best, you know, stuff forward and, you know, so we can all try to inspire one another. Um, <clears throat> they've been trying to push me to release some of our, no some of my novels I'm working on on a chapter by chapter basis. Uh, the only reason I haven't at this point is because, uh, one, the time involved and two, Wavelength. uh, wasn't sure, um, uh, you know, how well it would be received at this point. Um, because I don't know if anybody, I don't know how well people would pick up uh, a new novel from uh, someone they don't know uh, and, you know, pick it up by a chapter by chapter basis. But uh, that'll probably be coming in the next, uh, probably in the first quarter of uh, 2017. Got Did you ever consider doing a chapter a month release? We might wind up having to do something like that yeah. um, because we've actually got uh, four different storylines that uh, actually run throughout the, uh, the realms of Morgulad that have actually um, I've written as backstories for NPCs and uh, various characters and they've just I started writing backstories for them and uh, ultimately they kind of took pen and they ran you know and did their own thing with it and uh, I just you know kind of sit there and write it down for them. <laughs> yeah, writer circles are great. I, I got uh, enormous breaks uh, by being a part of writer circles and having some people in them be more experienced and more connected and and getting critiques and having people collaborate and support. I mean, um, I can't recommend enough if you're an aspiring author or a game designer or anything, get involved in either an art lab or a writer circle, whatever your creative bent is. It's uh, it's pretty incredible and it, it sort of backs up. You, you've got a, a real sense of community, it seems, in your in everything you do. Everything is sort of flavored by the town, you know, and um, uh, pine, you know, either pulling from the surrounding resources or giving back to it. Did you, you do you sort of run this writer's circle? Or do you help administrate it? Uh, usually, I moderate it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> we try to. We usually keep it open at the uh, at the public library, um, and we were trying to move that to our physical location, um, which we're currently in a in a. I guess kind of a mediatory stage, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, just between us and the local city council. Um, uh, basically, to put it in perspective, everybody who's seen the the movie Footloose just replaced Kevin Bacon with <laughs> Gary Gygax, and you right. have our town. So, <laughs> so well, I was actually going to say that earlier when you were talking about the town and like you know this isn't D and D. I was thinking it's the Footloose town for gaming. You know, John Lithgow going. That's exactly is that a funny looking die? <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah um so you know that that's pretty much where we're at with uh i mean I, i'm just i can't i can't I'm, I'm one of those people i can't stand to stagnate yeah and i always have to you know be working on something because it, it's I, I have high uh pretty high anxiety um <laughs> but uh most creatives have that and so yeah, it, it's my way of, of working and, uh, and do you ever stop thinking? Do you ever stop? Because some people are capable of like thinking of nothing, and that what doesn't happen to me during the day, and it certainly doesn't happen to me when I'm trying to go to sleep. Racing thoughts, they call them. Uh, so, yeah. so does your brain ever shut down, or is it always the next idea? Are you a scribblephile who writes down every idea? Or? Well, I, I've I've gotten into the habit that I have to keep some form of either notepad or some sort of uh, list. Or you'll try to hold on to it. Um, did, did you ever like, were you ever outside without anything and you just had to create like a mnemonic device to sort of sing song a couple of keywords that would make you remember the six ideas you had for the two hours you were away? Yeah, usually, yeah. usually I, would, I, would, I, would, I came up with, a, with an interesting idea of basically um, creating a character 
and the character has these six items in his backpack, and that's how we correlated to the six ideas. And so <laughs> that's it. But, that's uh, funny. I knew. Yeah, my my, uh, my brain doesn't ever turn off. Um, the neurologist actually says that uh, even when I'm sleeping, it's working. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All right. Well, but, uh, it is uh four fifty seven. We have filled up a. Uh, a full hour, which is which is fantastic. So, if people want to check you out, they could just in case anybody's tuning in late, give them all the uh, contact info. Uh, you can find uh, uh, all everything. Every, I mean, literally everything is linked over at macnabgames.com. Uh, you can reach me directly at uh, John M at macnabgames.com. Um, you can find us on Amazon, uh, on Kindle, on Drive Through RPG, Drive Through Fiction. Um, we have morgalad.com specifically for our fantasy role-playing game. We have creatureaweek.com, um, which is also accepting commissions. So if somebody wants to write up an ecology and put it out there, by all means, you know, you can uh, create an account, apply to become a vendor, and we'll release that. Um, you know, we'll usually approve them within 24 hours. And that Creature Week thing that's uh, on a website, that's a great, great way to break into... RPG authoring. I know a couple of writers who who took their lumps coming up that way. A couple of monster makers and short adventure makers like Mike Wellam and Adam Daigle and and they uh, Daigle works for Adam works for Paizo and Mike has gone on and just done so many things as well. And it started off with making creatures and just getting creatures seen online. So it's a great yeah. avenue to try to push yourself to just create one perfect creature, take a little constructive criticism from the, you know, the site owner, the editor, and just work, keep pushing, keep working at it. And um, like I've seen, I've seen whole RPG careers spring up just around the creature week type thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that actually... Uh... Justin Andrew Mason uh, actually works with the Adventure Week group, and I didn't know about that oh, until yeah, uh, no, John, John, Jonathan yeah. Nelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were uh, we were having a, a staff meeting one time on Aethercon, and uh, I, I saw his name pop up, and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, somebody else is in the weekly deal." <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna now invite in the next two fellas. Let's get. Catalyst Game Labs. I just sent them the invitation. I probably should have done it like two minutes ago. They're going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this guy. I think he can bite his last second. Okay. So, yeah, they should be coming in. I'm not actually, uh, so I was explaining to the last group, I'm not actually uh, shutting down anything here. I'm just going to leave okay. it running because uh, best we don't mess with it. So if people see behind the curtain <laughs> all the machinery moving, it really doesn't matter better that than losing an hour of talking because this is recording everything. It's going to be edited and and uh, it'll be edited by professional video editors and, and put up for everybody will be able to see it. And uh, thank That's you so awesome. much. Be playing me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Ab Games is really, really interesting. Thank you for sending stuff. I was digging into the Morgul ad and, and uh, it's really interesting. And uh, I really appreciate the, uh, the PDFs. It's exciting and I, I wish you the best, sir. Let's stay in touch. Thanks so much, man. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it was a blast. I didn't think it was going to go that fast. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Take it easy, John. All right. Bye. Bye.